Welcome to Swarupa Vidya Ashram. My name is Swami Nirmalananda. Each audio is a discourse that I offered at a satsang, a free meditation program, and was followed by meditation. These teachings address the underlying questions of life. Who am I? Why am I here? How do I do what I came here to do? I went to my guru with these same questions while he gave me the teachings I share here. Most importantly, he gave me the inner experience they describe. This is why I teach, to share the same with you, both the theory and the inner experience of your own inherent divinity. The bliss of consciousness is your birthright. Meditate and discover that you are greater than you could ever imagine. Om Namah Shivaya Gurave Sajidanandamurtaye Nishvapanjaya Shantaya Niralambaya Tejase Muktanandaya Gurave Shisha Samsara Harane I bow to my own self. I bow to my Baba's own self. I bow to his Baba's own self. I bow to your own self. Shiva. Your own being. Again and again I bow. Om Swarupa Swaswa Bhava Namo Namaha. The Urge to Merge. This is a Christmas title, one inspired by Jesus on his holy day. Well, today's the day after the holy day in which we celebrate his birth. Though Christmas in the West is quite commercialized, we know. I especially noticed it this year with inflatable nativity scenes put out on some lawns alongside inflatable reindeer, Christmas trees, and Santa climbing out of a chimney on the lawn. Mostly these days, people celebrate Christmas by focusing on light, the light in the dark. We have lights on trees, indoors and out, lights on houses and stores, 
lights on products for sale, luxury products, entertaining products, fattening products, light shining on worldly things that are supposed to make you happy, and light shining on gatherings with family who are supposed to make you happy too. Ah, Christmas. It's a complicated event. Merely a reflection of our complicated relationship with God. It's like all meaningful relationships. Complicated. Understand, however, God is not complicated. So who is it that brings things into the relationships that complicate it? Hmm. So here we are. On this day after Christmas, I wish you a Merry Christmas. That you may learn from Jesus' teachings and grow into them as you grow into your own self. For Jesus said to his students on the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world, Matthew 5, 14. And he followed up with, let your light shine before men, Matthew 5, 16. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men. He also said, you are gods, John 10, 34. He didn't make it up. He was quoting a psalm, a much earlier teaching, Psalm 82, verse 6. You are gods, you are sons, you are all sons of the Almighty. I had this foundation in both Christianity and Judaism, and it prepared me to hear Baba when he taught, as the ancient yogis did. Those yogis preceded not only Jesus, but preceded the Psalms. Psalm 82 is dated around 900 BCE. The Mandukya Upanishad of the Atarva Veda says, Ayamatma Brahman, your own self is God. This is the youngest of the four Vedas. The Atarva Veda is dated about 100 years earlier than that psalm, about 1000 BCE, though it's compiled coming from more ancient writings. Ayamatma Brahma, your own self is divine. Your own self is God. What I'm talking about is the ancient roots of mysticism, which is the way you fulfill the urge to merge. This is the mystical quest, the inner impulse that drives you toward God, or toward peace, or toward bliss, or toward fulfillment, however you would describe what you yearn for. I've heard it called the itch you can't scratch. The Oxford Dictionary defines mysticism as, it's a long phrase, belief that union with or absorption into the deity or the absolute, or the spiritual apprehension of knowledge inaccessible to the intellect may be attained through contemplation and self-surrender. Let me simplify it. Mysticism is the quest for union with God, which is attained through surrender. A big, scary word, surrender. The urge to merge. We yearn for it and fear it at the same time. 
people look for a way to merge in a relationship. They look for it in music. They look for it in nature. They want to get away to mountain cabins, seaside resorts, or even solitary walks that get them away from everything for an hour or two. These days, you know, it's said you should walk five miles a day, 10,000 steps. It takes an hour or two. But they who say this haven't yet compared the health benefits of the long walk to an hour or two of yoga. I'll wait for it. It'll come. People want peace and fulfillment. They want to feel full, filled up inside, deeply content, satisfied, quenched, so that they can stand down from the red alert in which they live too much of the time. Food and other intoxicants can get you there. All right, I grew up in the 60s. We relied on sex, drugs, and rock and roll. People still do. Krishna warns in the Bhagavad Gita that in our modern age, people will substitute sex for God. This is one of the reasons that celibacy is a yogic practice, to help you distinguish the difference. Yet, this is Tantra. It is well known that some branches of the tantric system include sexual practices, something that has been espoused strongly in the West. What's really going on is that tantra is the science of God. Its focus is on you having an overwhelming experience of God with the willingness to use any methodology to get there. Thus, there are some yogis in India who use sex or drugs to attain their ecstasy. This is, in fact, something well known in the West, but with a predictable backlash. So we practice Tantra, but we focus on finding and merging into God through peaceful inner processes. Fortunately, we're in a Shaktipa tradition, which means that the enlightened master awakens your own inner capacity for enlightenment. Then, as you become more and more fully filled from the inner source, you overflow the light of your own being into the world, just like Jesus said, just like the Vedic sages said. Unfortunately, most people even most yogis spend the bulk of their day and mental energies on managing their life and relationships. They try to set it all up so they can experience peace and fulfillment by getting their ducks in a row. Quack, 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 quack. Everyone in the family is all lined up and doing exactly what you want them to do, right? Now, really, how often does that happen? or you work hard to achieve quietude, the feeling like you've accomplished a lot in a busy day. Or maybe it's the blissful exhaustion after a big push, or the sense of satisfaction that you've made someone else happy. Ah, now I'm good. I did good. Or I did a lot. Or now they'll like me. Ah. 
Why do we do this? Because we know that any of these outer experiences can be a doorway to an inner experience, a numinous experience. The whole point of life is to have numinous experiences, expansive, holy, sacred, all-knowing, filled with God. This is the only thing that truly fills you. It fills you from the inside. In this month's teachings article about God, I named some of my pre-yoga numinous experiences, one of which was a sunrise church service at the beach. I vividly remember experiencing an incredible, expansive fullness. I didn't know to call it bliss. It was so incredible that I looked around to see where it came from. I looked at the ocean waves crashing on the shore. No, it wasn't coming from them. It wasn't coming from the sunrise or the distant horizon line where the blue of the sea met the blue of an infinite sky. It wasn't coming from the words being spoken by the minister. It wasn't coming from the music. While I couldn't find the source of my feeling in any of the outer things, they had somehow triggered me to tap into the inner source, what yoga calls self, your own inherent divinity. That means it all worked for me, briefly. Then I went back to what we call normal. Yoga incites a change in your definition of normal so that you live in the bliss of the knowingness of your own divine beingness all the time. That's your new normal. That was Jesus, a divine man they call him. Well, you are a divine human. That's what I call you. That's what yoga calls you. Your mission is different than his was. Your inner knowingness may not be as deep or as consistent as his was, not yet. Your inner state may not be as expansive as you know it can be. And you do know what expansive feels like, either from those special life experiences you've already had or your own yogic experiences. But however much you know or imagine is possible within, there is more. And I challenge you to find the more. Then you can say, I'm good. <sighs> your life doesn't have to be perfect for you to discover your own divinity. Your body doesn't have to be perfect for you to experience the inner perfection that is your essence. Your personality doesn't have to be perfect, nor your mind and emotions all cleared out in order for you to know and to be Shiva. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to become it. You are already it. The one divine being that is beingness itself. Oh, Shiva, you. Are you? Since you don't live in the constant knowingness of your own beingness, 
You yearn to know. You have the urge to merge. It brings you here so that you can have an experience. The difference is that I name the source, self. I teach you and I show you where to look. The experience arises within you from its source, which is not only within you, the source is you. Your own self is the source of your bliss, your life, your capacity to love and give, your life and all that you are and all that you want to be. It all comes from within. Dive deeper into who you already are, O oh, Shiva. When you're not experiencing your own self, you feel incomplete, even inadequate. Yet that all disappears when you know yourself. When you're not experiencing your own self, you feel needy and lonely. It all disappears when you know yourself. When you're not experiencing your own self, you feel anxious, even full of blame for others or regrets about past events. All that disappears when you know your own self. When you're not experiencing the self, you yearn for God. You want to know. You feel an inner angst, even called existential angst, which is the angst of your own existence, not knowing your own existence. Yet all that disappears when you know your own self. When you're not experiencing your own self, you reach out for support from possessions, from pets, from other people, best of all, from God, a divine being who seems separate from you. Yet that sense of separation disappears when you know your own self, even God disappears. It's all a delusion, you know, that God is separate from you. This is the delusion that keeps the world spinning, that keeps you chasing your own tail. Avidya, it's called, not knowingness, the delusion that God is separate and different from you. You are a divine human. There's only one here. And that one is being you as well as being everything else, everyone else. The Vinyana Bhairava describes this. Tadva pustatvato nyeyam vimalam vishva puranam evam vidha para tadve ka pujya Verse 16. That should in truth be known as the essential nature of the one, immaculate, and pervading the entire universe. Such being known as the highest reality within, who can be the object of worship? Who is to be satisfied with worship? I'll focus on the question. The verse asks, the last few words, puja kasya tityati. Who can be the object of worship? Who is to be satisfied 
with worship. When you are in the knowingness of your own beingness, who do you worship? You are not separate from God. That's what merging is all about. The drop of water merges into the sea. Your seeming individuality is dissolved into the one reality that you already are and always have been. When you are in the knowingness of your own beingness, who do you worship? The verse also asks, who is going to get satisfaction from the act of worshiping? Is it God who will feel satisfied because you are worshiping him or her? Do you make God happy like God wasn't happy already? Is it you who will feel satisfied because you worshiped God? But, but, but wait a minute, who's God? As though the one were separate from you somehow? When you are in the knowingness of your own beingness, who do you worship? There is none other, for there is only one. The commentator Kshemaraja picked these words out and focused on them, as did a second later commentator, Shiva Padhyaya. And my Baba focused on them as well, explaining the worship, the worshiper, the object of worship, and so on, are merely different aspects of the supreme principle, consciousness and bliss. Here is the merging you seek, that you, the one whom you worship, the worship itself, and even the objects you use for worship, they're all the supreme reality in different forms. When you be Shiva, you see Shiva in all. I love to drive around Pennsylvania. Almost every direction you turn your gaze, there's another hillside full of trees. That's one of the reasons I moved here. The incredible bounty of the goddess. Mother nature sprouting and reaching high into the sky in the forms of millions and millions of trees. People look at nature in order to see or feel the divinity within. Using this glorious form of boundless forests to trigger an inner experience, it is the experience of self. Thus, people turn to nature. Like I pointed out recently, they even want to float in the weightlessness of space so that they can experience something greater than them. Except the thing they think is greater than them is being them. That which you think is greater than you is you. Just like a tree is a divine form of the one divine reality, dare I say God incarnate, so are you. But the tree doesn't know it. Most of the time, you don't either. Except you can do something about that. 
you can turn your attention inward to delve into the source of your own individual being to discover what you are made of. Who are you, really? Baba said, for a seeker, there is nothing else to worship or offer except the essential nature of his own self. For a seeker, there is nothing else to worship or to offer except the essential nature of his own self. So on Christmas, I celebrate the divine human, you. Yes, Jesus too, and Baba too, and his Baba too, but you are just as divine as any of them was. And you are here, you are alive, you are present, right here, right now, you am. You are aming, you exist, and your existence is God existing as you. How do you find this inside? Okay, some of you already know I'm gonna talk about mantra. I remind you of the value of mantra almost every week. Yes, you should be doing more mantra. Om Namah Shivaya. I bow to my own Shivaness. I honor my own inherent divinity. I worship the divine reality that is my own essence. Om Namah Shivaya. Om Namah Shivaya. Om Namah Shivaya. Om Namah Shivaya. Today, I'm going to talk a little bit about how the mantra works, how the mantra provides the mystical fulfillment that your urge to merge is all about. The Vijnana Bhairava describes the merging in verse 50. Sarvata svasharirasya dvadashante manolayan vridha budhir dubhi bhuta Tattva laksham pravartate. When the body of the yogi is penetrated by consciousness in all parts, and his mind, which has become steady in one pointedness, is dissolved in the dvadashanta, situated in the body, then that yogi experiences the fullness of ultimate reality. Okay, there are some complexities in here. I'll describe them briefly. It says that the yogi one must perfect your body. So it is permeated by consciousness fully. How are you doing on that one? Two, then you perfect your mind so that it is steady and one pointed. How are you doing on that one? Three, then you dissolve your mind into consciousness. Four, which is found in a specific location in your body called Dvadashanta, which is in your spine. Five, thus you can experience the fullness of ultimate reality, which is your own self. So this is why yogis work with their body and work with their mind. 
to be permeated by consciousness and to be steady and one pointed. And if you haven't gotten there yet, well, you can do lots more yoga or you can get Shaktipat. That's in another verse. Shaktipat opens up the Dwadashanta situated in the body. The central channel of your spine, the space through which Kundalini rises. This is the specialty of this tradition, the inner awakening. The way the mantra works is you repeat it. Ideally as preparation for your meditation, which we will do today in just a few minutes. And then during your meditation, you continue repeating the mantra, Om Namah Shivaya, internally. And with enough mantra repetitions, because of the energy that Muktananda installed in the mantra, the Nityananda installed, with enough mantra repetitions, the uplifting power of consciousness climbs your spine. Kundalini opens up the core of your being, Shiva, for you to experience, to know, to be the fullness of ultimate reality, which is your own self. You have heard from me before, do more mantra. If you repeat the mantra for only five minutes, which we will do, or it might take 10 or 20 minutes. That happens when you're off kilter, you know. But if you repeat the mantra for a short time, then reliably you'll experience yourself. Isn't that amazing? The mechanics of it are that mantra invokes grace, which is the Guru's gift of revelation, revealing your divinity to you through the energy of consciousness arising within the energy of grace kundalini climbs your spine transforming your body and mind while propelling you deeper and deeper within what's not to love it's great this is the guru's gift what i received from my baba which he received from his baba the inner awakening that makes consciousness arise within and mantra triggers that but there's another level of teaching hidden in this verse. Sarvatasva sharirasya dvada shante manolayan dridha budhir dridhi bhutam tattva laksham pravartate. When the body of the yogi is permeated by consciousness and his mind is dissolved in the dvadashanta situated in the body, then that yogi experiences the fullness of ultimate reality. What happens with mantra is that your mind is dissolved into the dvadashanta, the space between the two. In your spine, dvadashanta, the space between the two, is the central conduit of energy between the left and right. In your breath, dvadashanta is the pause between your breaths. And sometimes you'll notice in meditation that you're not breathing. Your mind is dissolved in the space between, and you can breathe. And then your breath will pause again. In mantra, Dvadashanta is the pause between your mantra repetitions. 
I'll talk you through that process with the mantra today. When we repeat mantra aloud together, I intentionally leave a brief pause between the ending of one mantra and the beginning of the next. Om Namah Shivaya. Om Namah Shivaya. On a practical level, it's so you can breathe. But there is more going on. That space between the mantras is an entry point into infinity, the infinity of your own divinity. I think of it like crossing a river on stepping stones. Each time you repeat the mantra, it's like you step on one of the stones that will take you across to the other side. Yet there is space between the stones. I have crossed rivers on stepping stones. And sometimes the stones are placed where you can stand on two of them at the same time and watch the water flowing between them under your body. At first, it's merely beautiful, even fascinating. Then it becomes mesmerizing. Then your perception can open to see the river as an infinite flow, as a doorway to the infinity through which the river is flowing. It is the infinity through which life is flowing, the infinity in which all exists, the infinity that is the ground of being, your own being. This is the space between Vadashanta, the space between. Here we'll access it with mantra. Out loud, there's the space between the mantras where you can take a breath. So breathe, but while you're breathing, notice the space you're in. Or maybe you don't need a breath, so you simply pause in that space between the mantras. It's like looking through window blinds and seeing what's beyond those strips of wood or plastic. You can see the whole of it by looking in the spaces in between. The out loud mantra repetition is an introduction to meditation. Out loud, there's a pause between the mantras. When you switch to silent repetition, and I'll tell you when that's coming, I invite you to get the mantra going in a continuous flow. Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya. It's very powerful that way. It focuses and concentrates your mind on your own divinity, invoking the grace that moves Kundalini. It's like the river flowing, but it's a river of grace, the flow of infinite energy that takes you to the infinity within. And when you pour yourself into the mantra in this way, with enough focus, lovingly, respectfully, invoking your own shivaness by honoring yourself, Om Namah Shivaya. There's a point where the mantra disappears. 
Some of you know it well. After a bit, you realize you're not repeating mantra. The basic instruction is to simply start it up again. Why? Because it works. The mantra took you deep, and now you're surfacing. Maybe you got distracted by thoughts. So you dive into the mantra again. It takes you deeper. Or it could be that the mantra took you so deep that you disappeared. The mantra can take you so deep within that you merge into the consciousness that you are. You dissolve the seeming separation between you and God. That's the point. That's the whole point. To merge and to be aware of the merging. To be the one who is merging and the one you are merging into. To ease into the inner pervasion of being. Being the beingness that you are. Then your mind notices, oh, what's happening? Huh, nothing's happening. There's no mantra. It means your mind is started up again, pulling you out a little. You realize you're not repeating mantras, so you start it up again and it takes you back in deeper. But I'm going to invite you to hover on that edge at the point where you almost dissolve into the consciousness that you are. I'm going to invite you to cultivate your ability to be conscious in that level of consciousness. Dwadashanta, the space between the two, the space between mind and God, the space between your individuality and your divinity, the space between conscious an unconscious, a space of consciousness. Again, I'm repeating myself. I'll lead you through Japa, out loud mantra repetition. Then for the inner repetition, I'll remind you to get the mantra going in a continuous flow, like the river flowing between the stepping stones. It's so easy to become absorbed in that continuous flow of the mantra. With the river, you can stand on the stones and watch the river flowing underneath you. But who is the watcher? You can be the watcher, watching the river of mantra, the river of grace flow through. And you can be the watcher even when the mantra stops. When the mantra and your mind dissolve into source, merging into the consciousness that you are, you are the one. You are your own self, whether you're repeating mantra or not. The mantra gives you your own self, divine human that you are. It makes you able to merge into your own essence, oh Shiva to fulfill that urge, that itch that cannot be scratched, to know and to be your own self. Do more mantra. Om Namah Shivaya. 
ಸ್ವರೂಪ ಸ್ವಸ್ವಭಾವ ನಮೋ ನಮಃ